Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Welcome to your second allergy spiel. You are going to see a lot of similarities between what I consider talking about food allergy versus flea allergy, which we went over last week in the podcast. And you may think, well, that's kind of weird. Why would food and flea be similar? I think these are two topics that a lot of times when clients and veterinarians maybe have different views or opinions, um, we shy away from or we kind of, you know, want to avoid talking about. But a lot of the approaches can be very similar. And as we go through some of the discussions and how I talk to people about starting a food trial, you'll see why. So say we have a dog. It is a nine-month-old dog that has been struggling with yeast otitis since it was five months of age and they keep shaking their head. And I, and I really think we need to do a food trial. And if you listen to past episodes of the podcast, I have lots about food and um, food allergy and different diets to use. I'm going to have other ones coming out in the next few months as well. This is simply just to discuss starting a diet trial and how I talk to a client about it. So if I can tell by, say, the client history based on what they feed or, you know, some side comments they make that maybe they're not going to be the easiest to convince to do a diet trial or be really particular about diets. Um, you know, we'll talk about the history and then I will start giving my little sets of allergies and basically all the spiels we're talking about, right? Like flea, food, environmental allergy. So when we get to food, I'll say food is very personal for people because it's it's what we choose to feed our pet. Um, the difficult thing about food is there all the opinions that are out there. And I just throw that out there for people. Um, like I understand, I get it. There are so many opinions about food. What I always tell owners, it's very similar to like if we go online and we Google, what is the healthiest diet for me to eat? Depends on which website you end up on or which resource. Or you can find research that supports so many different types of diets that humans can eat, right? To be like the quote unquote healthiest. Um, so I always tell owners, very similar to all the information that's out there about human food, there's lots of information about what pets should eat out there. And so I want to just kind of give you my thoughts and philosophies about, you know, food and working up a food allergy. But in the end, we're always going to feel, do what you feel comfortable with. And that is very similar to what I mentioned last week with the flea allergy talk, right? It sounds so simple, but that release really helps people know and open up about just at least hearing my side of what we should do for my training and my medical knowledge. Um, but in the end, they're going to have that say. So they're open to hearing it, knowing I'm not just going to be, you know, forceful and judgmental. It's like, here's what I think. Lots of opinion out there. I get it. Let me give you some of my thoughts and philosophies. Not really philosophies, medical knowledge. Um, and then, but in the end, your say. You know, I can only give you the information. Um, and it, you'll be surprised how much that really helps with both of these difficult conversations. Even if they don't do it, they're more open to hearing about it. You just put it out there that, hey, there's tons of information out there. I get it. Here's kind of my thoughts on it. In the end, it will be your choice. 
So then, you know, we kind of start talking about the differences between the different diets out there. Um, of course, there are some people who get really nervous about some of the big brands out there. So I just kind of talk to them like, what is a food allergy? You know, it's a sensitivity to a particular, usually protein, maybe sometimes carbohydrate or fat or something different, but usually protein. It's a allergy to a protein. It doesn't matter if it is the, I use the example of a person was beef allergic. doesn't matter if it's the best filet mignon out there or, you know, a cheap hamburger. Because people, the reason people get really judgmental and defensive about food they're feeding their pet is they see it as a reflection on them, right? Like I chose that food and now you are saying my pet could be allergic to it, but I chose it. So, you know, in essence, they feel guilty or bad or defensive because they chose to give that. Similar to the fleas, right? Well, my home doesn't have fleas because they feel like, you know, it could be judgmental. So, that's kind of the same philosophy or thoughts that can be going through people's head with this. Um, so I say, you know, it's does it's nothing to do with like the quality of food. And I am not saying like over-the-counter diets are bad. It's just that very similar to a person going through like an elimination diet trial for something like Crohn's disease. A diet trial allows us to fast your pet's body from everything, hopefully mostly that's eaten before, you're kind of eliminating all the things we've been on before. So in a way, fasting in that aspect, clearly they're still eating, but you're allowing them that time to all those proteins they've absorbed in their body and their bloodstream. You're just allowing those to go away so we can see if your pet gets better. It has nothing to do with the quality of food you're eating. I'm not saying all over-the-counter diets are bad by any means, but it's a diagnostic test. And that's important because I think sometimes we forget to remind owners that a diet trial is a diagnostic test. It is a test. Um, and so that's when I start bridging into the importance of prescription diets or home cooked diets. To me, prescription or home cooked diets are really the only um, true way to eliminate a diet trial at this point in time. And so then we go in to talk about, well, what, why, what is the special about prescription diets? And so, you know, I explained to them that their pet food is not really well regulated. There can be cross residues, very similar to if you have a child with a peanut allergy and they have to watch for that little label that says this was made in a facility that also contains nuts. That might be really detrimental for a child who has a peanut allergy. doesn't make that food bad, but there could be residues. There could be other things that were made in the vat before the dog food that could be present in the food that's not in the ingredient list. What the prescription diets do, you know, the really good quality ones, is they do ELISA testing to ensure there's no other obscure proteins in the food that shouldn't be there. They have very, you know, strict cleaning protocols, um, certain ways they have to run their products so they can ensure nothing else gets into the food. Again, not that the other ones are bad, but because we have pets that are that severely food allergic, we need that degree of testing to assure there's nothing else in the food. And that just allows owners to know why prescription's important. Um, it's because of that process of assuring nothing else is in the food. And when we relate it to things like people, similar to when we talk about the bee sting allergy last week, people get that a little bit clearer, right? Like they know a child who has a peanut allergy or their kid goes to school and it's a nut-free school. They can't even send their kid with other stuff that have nuts in it because a, a child could be nut allergic there. They understand how much that can affect a person's life. So then they kind of understand why we're so adamant that they really take in consideration if we're going to do a diet trial with a, you know, commercial kibble or canned food, it needs to be prescription-based because we have ruled out those that possibility of other things being in the diet that's not on the label.
So that was a long-winded way to kind of explain that to owners, but I usually use the example of the kid with the peanut allergy because people can just relate to that. Um, if they're going to choose home cooked, then they have to understand it's not just, oh, I make this, you know, uh, rabbit diet for my pet at home. They have to make sure that their pans are appropriately cleaned, not the utensils are appropriately cleaned. You can't make chicken dinner for your family and then go ahead and make, you know, your dog food right after. Um, it's really more involved than people understand and it can be really time consuming. So I, you know, I personally don't have a lot of owners that do it. I know nutritionists tend to have more owners that um, will do it. Um, but I explained to them how important that is. And then we can talk about the options like the balanceit.com website or getting a nutritionist involved really is my, my preference, aborted nutritionist to balance that diet for the pet. Um, so we can ensure they're getting their full nutrients and then um, they're going to be really well versed into, you know, food allergy and food um, things we have to consider for that pet if we're going to do a home cooked diet. So really my preference is to get them to a board of nutritionists and we can talk about the options of a novel protein in that case. Now, most of our clients do end up doing prescription-based diets. So then I break into hydrolyzed versus novel protein. Um, and you want to explain what hydrolyzed is. And if you're going to pick a diet for a particular reason, you want to make sure owners know what's in the food. Um, that's really important. If I start talking about hydrolyzed and I can tell they're really uncomfortable, you know, say they've really fed whole foods in the past and just the process of hydrolyzation, um, you can just tell they're uneasy with then we will say, you know, novel protein might be something that you're more comfortable with. Now, some doctors or dermatologists have their own preference. You know, some will just do hydrolyzed, some will just do novel protein. I, I personally prefer hydrolyzed if I have an owner that, you know, the pet can just eat kibble um, or there are some kibble canned options depending on the company. Um, but if they're really open to whatever I'm going to select, I usually do like to do hydrolyzed and I'll try to stick with just, you know, the kibble version of it. But um, I have some owners that if I even mention hydrolyze, you know, their eyes get wide and they're like weirded out. And so I will be open to novel protein in those situations. I think novel protein can completely be appropriate. The difficult part about novel protein is just making sure you know that pet's complete diet history, not just what they've eaten for like their main food, but have they gotten, you know, kangaroo treats before. You'd be surprised how many different proteins are in some of these over-the-counter treats um, and other diets. I mean, there's so many things that are available now from some of these more boutique brands. So a lot of pets have been exposed to kangaroo, rabbit, things like that. So I think novel protein still can be really helpful, but you just have to really dive into the history. And if you have a dog who, say, is a rescue dog, you might not know the whole history. So um, we talked. I talked to owners about that. So I'll be open to either novel protein or hydrolyzed. Um, do they need a canned option? These are really important things to ask. So if we have a young dog um, and we need a canned option so that they can stuff a Kong full of it when they're training so they can chew on something because we have to take things like rawhides away, then I'm going to pick a diet that has a canned option that I feel good about using. And again, I have other podcast episodes that go through different diets and some of the preferences that I have or other dermatologists have. But I ask that, like, do you need a canned option? Because I'd rather just focus on something I know the pet really can eat and the owner will be successful with. Um, so once we kind of figure out what diet we're going to be on, timing's really important. Can you do this successfully for eight weeks strict? Can you be successful with this for eight weeks strict right now? You know, and as I'm recording this, we're in the middle of the holiday season. So I've had a lot of owners that say, nope, I'm traveling. There's no way grandma and grandpa aren't going to give the pet other treats. 
And so we have a plan to start the diet trial in January when the owners can be successful with it. Again, it's a diagnostic test. They have to commit those eight weeks. That's how we rule out a food allergy. Diagnostic test, strict diet trial. For me, eight weeks is what I do. And so that becomes really important for us to consider. So can they do it? You know, or do they have young kids at home? Um, and that's just not going to happen right now. So we might have to do some symptomatic treatment right now. The pets in training, they're going to have a, you know, agility show next month. And it's just too hard to make any changes right now. So we'll do it after the agility show. Those are just the things that we have to consider. Can you do it strict? Because I don't want to send home an expensive diet when allergies are already really expensive just to find out that the owner could not be strict with it. So we didn't get her answer because at the end of those eight weeks, I want to know yes or no. The pet's food allergic. And remember, they could have other allergies present too. So it's not that they always 100% get better on the food, but can you take away the the symptomatic treatment and they do 80% better or whatever it looks like for that pet. The other thing I tell owners, we don't have to be married to that diet for eight weeks. A lot of times we're doing lots of things within that eight week time period, right? Maybe we're treating infection and we're putting them on Apoquil and there's a season change. So owners often think, well, how am I going to know if really the food's helping? I say, well, we're going to challenge the diet. The answer really is in the challenge for that food. Because if you start a young dog on a diet trial and all of a sudden you're like, well, sorry, you can only have this hydrolyzed diet the rest of your life. That's really hard for owners. If they do really well on a diet trial, that doesn't mean they can't have anything else ever, right? It just means there might be a, some things that they can't have. So when we get to the end of the eight weeks, we challenge the food. So again, if owners want to find another diet, we find their food allergic, but they want to find another diet, cool, we can look into other options, but we've answered that yes or no diagnostic test. Food matters, yes or no. No, great, we're gonna probably move on to atopic dermatitis, which we'll talk about next week. Yes, but I don't wanna feed that food. Okay, let's look into other options. Sometimes owners wanna stay on that food, but they want to be able to give other things. So then we jump into individual ingredient challenges. Because a food allergic dog is not allergic to every food out there. It just means we've answered yes or no. And then if owners want to say, okay, is it chicken or not? Mix a little bit of chicken in with the prescription diet and see if they flare. You know, give them five to seven days, just adding a little chicken with each meal and see if they flare. So you can really jump down that rabbit hole as much as you want to with the owner. But I think alleviating that stress for them where I'm not just saying you can only have this food the rest of this pet's life. I need eight weeks to see yes or no. And then we decide what you're comfortable with. A lot of people decide just to do the food um, because they are doing so well. Some people want to find alternatives. Some people want to find, um, you know, at least treat options. So we can do that methodically once we know if the pet's food allergic or not. And so I think if you put it in a way that it is a diagnostic test, you know, let's give those eight weeks. Can you do it? Let's find a diet you're comfortable with, whether it's home cooked whether it's a prescription-based diet that's hydrolyzed or novel, you know, one that we feel like really gives a good chance of if you get through eight weeks, we'll know whether your pet's food allergic or not, and then give the owners that out. Diagnostic tests in eight weeks, we re-challenge, answer yes or no, and then we decide together whether your pet's food allergic or not, what the next best steps are. And that opens a lot of conversations and doors for owners to not be so intimidated by the food allergy talk. Now, the last thing I'll say, and this is, again, going to echo what we talked about last week with flea allergy, you will just not win some clients. And I have the same issue. Food allergy is tough. 
to diagnose. It is. There's so many factors we have to consider. Sometimes you have to do multiple diet trials. Sometimes food allergy pops up when you've been dealing with atopic dermatitis for a few years. Food allergy can be tough to diagnose. Now, if you do diagnose it, it can make a world of a difference. But it can be really tough um, to get through eight weeks, have other things that are kind of muddying the waters as far as seeing if it's helping or not, like atopic dermatitis or infections or flea allergy. So it is really tough. And sometimes you'll just have owners that you will not win that discussion with. But similar to what we talked about last week, don't give up. You can very kindly say if the pet keeps struggling, oh, you know, I know we've talked about it before. I'm still a bit concerned that food could be playing a role here. Um, so just something I want you to keep in the, you know, consider when you're ready for it. I, I think it would be a good thing to rule in or out as a possibility. Um, and sometimes it takes a few rechecks and owners are like, you know what, fine, let's go ahead and do it. And there are some owners that I've just never gotten to do a diet trial and, and we both kind of live in harmony with that decision. So I hope that helps. Again, I, there's a lot of mirroring to last week because um, these are difficult conversations to have with owners. But if you, again, go on that, you know, that um, proactive, not reactive aspect, I know you're going to get a lot of opinions. You know, let's just kind of talk about my thoughts. But in the end, you know, we're going to do what you feel comfortable with. You will be amazed how much that um, approach really helps owners become more comfortable. So I hope that's helpful for your discussion with food allergies. Next week, we are going to talk about kind of ending this little spiel um, series. We're going to talk about we've gotten our food trial done. We're on good flea control. Now, how do we bridge that conversation of managing atopic dermatitis li- lifelong? Um, so I look forward to um, having you back here on the podcast next week.